All right. Hi, friends. Today we're back with Galatians now, chapter two, and uh, this is going to be part one of a two-part session, possibly three parts, but I think two. The whole chapter uh, addresses um, many things, but I want to focus on three things, and they're really relevant for us today. Here they are. Number one, there's a real war going on for the gospel today. And in this chapter, we see Satan trying to contaminate the gospel two times using two different tactics. I think we can get some application for today in this. Number two, it also continues with the theme from chapter one, the ongoing personal relationship between Paul and God after salvation. I believe that it is in this connection that Paul is able to stand firm for truth of the gospel in today's passage. That's what we need to be always cultivating in our life. Then number three, we see an example of how Paul's personal relationship with Jesus relates to his personal relationship with other believers, not only in regards to unity in the gospel, but also accountability, leaving no believer or no brother behind. Let's begin, and today I want us to look at the first 10 verses in Galatians chapter 2. And we will begin with verses 1 through 6, and we'll go from there. So beginning with verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. So, um, again, Galatians chapter 2 continues with the theme from chapter 1. Uh, Paul, after many years, separated from the other apostles who had been discipled personally by Jesus. I think in total it would come to around 17 years for the most part since he uh, came to know Christ. And now he's returning to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. Though it was something God had directed him to do, part of the reason I think is to confirm to the believers that he was an apostle directly appointed by Jesus and to show uh, that he proclaimed the true gospel to them. And then also being joined together with them, uh, unified in purpose to the charge that Jesus gave them in the Great Commission to share the gospel, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles in all nations. So we just read how Paul's group arrived in Jerusalem and they have run into some trouble already because false believers slipped in among the believers and tried to bring them back into bondage. Uh, and Paul said it this way, false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom 
that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. <laughs> what might that mean? I think likely that it, it refers to bringing uh, them back into legalism of checking boxes and keeping the law like the Pharisees, motivated by self-righteousness and by the letter of the law, not quickened uh, by God from a new heart in Christ Jesus, uh, but finding some self-righteousness through, through works. So these spies who tried to push the apostles into a works-based righteousness got nowhere. They solidified their stand in Christ alone. Uh, they did not yield. Why? Well, it seems to me that for Paul and those with him, even the apostles, it was because they had been taught by God. They trusted in God over these men. Remember, in chapter 1, we saw how Paul's dependence on Christ developed and is, is strengthened that he might not be swayed by man. And this personal relationship with Jesus transformed Paul. So he didn't look to man to stoke his ego or, or rely on man to fill his needs or even to dictate his theology. But rather, he, he humbly and, and confidently depended on Christ for knowledge and understanding and uh, protection and food and all things. So I believe Paul's daily relationship and the apostles as they walked with Christ was the key to them standing fast so they were not influenced by the theology of the world. So once again, Paul is in sync with what he said in chapter one. Let me revisit quickly. Galatians 1 verse 10, beginning there. For now, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Christ Jesus. So Paul's a real deal here, and he's a great example for us in this uh, multicultural world that we live in, filled with uh, all kinds of teachings. So again, as these false doctrines were introduced to Paul and his companions and the apostles by the infiltrated spies, it did not sway them. And Paul seemed to, to brush them off in some context, at least not letting their words uh, ruffle his feathers or to distract him from his mission. And we see how the other apostles sided with Paul. Let's read about that beginning in verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. All right, so instead of being sidetracked, Paul met with James, Peter, John, and maybe Titus, maybe some others, and they discuss what is important. 
That is the unified mission to share the good news of the freedom from the law through Jesus who kept the law for us, right? And who works in us to change our hearts, to do his will and, and to keep his law and to share this, this good news, right? To obey the great commission that, that Jesus gave them. And you know, for us, I, I think we get caught up so easily in controversies. And even when we have the upper hand and when we're right, if left unchecked, our debating turns to arguing and then to bitterness and, and anger and it pollutes our heart for the mission. And Paul's a good example for us. He did not let their lies about the gospel sidetrack him from the ministry of sharing the love of Christ. He stayed the course focusing on truth and the mission. We get sidetracked from the mission so often. Um, I can't help but notice Paul's phrase in verse 9, the grace that was given to me. Let me read the whole verse again. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. So the grace that was given to me, grace is a part of initial salvation, true? And now Paul says grace was given to him for the mission. That's Paul living out the gospel after salvation, right? That's a part of it. We find tons of grace from God for us in mission and all the promises that he has for us in his word. Are we doing what Paul did? Are we walking in mission with, with the grace that is given behind the power of all his promises, the power that backs his word? I mean, it's true. There is, there is a guaranteed, unmatched superpower behind God's word. I alluded to Hebrews 1.3, I think in the last session. But speaking of Jesus, Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. <laughs> if Jesus holds the fabric of the universe together by his word, uh, just think about the grace that he gives us through all the other promises in his word. It's grace to be able to obey his commands and to combat sin and to, to go forth in mission, all these things. They go together and they're backed by his power. So for us, hey, let's prove his word. I want to do that better. I want to prove his power and his word are true by acting on the mission that Jesus has given us to share his glory with all nations, beginning right where we are. So as we close this session, um, consider how the apostles were united in the message of the gospel and like the song says, Jesus paid it all, right? There's one gospel. And as we believe in him and he gives us his Holy Spirit, then we are able to begin being transformed practically into what he has made us positionally. And so we never turn back. We may fail. We may fall at times, but he always pulls us back toward him. And we walk in these circles of repentance that get smaller and smaller as we're always looking to Jesus.
So now in verse 10, there's this other thing. Uh, this is the last verse we looked at, and um, it's something else they were united in. And let me just read that. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And to me, at first, this almost seems out of place. I mean, so far it's been about the integrity of the gospel and the personal relationship with Jesus, not letting the gospel be contaminated with self-righteousness, being united in its message, uh, being in agreement about sharing Jesus with all nations. And now it's like, remember the poor. (laughs) But you know, the gospel is not just words, but it's connected to actions. And uh, it's actions that stem from real love from the heart. Sharing the gospel goes hand in hand with caring for others. In fact, it's a way, I think, that we live out the gospel in our daily life. James 2, 8 and 9 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And uh, just a preview of what we're going to talk about in the next session, we will see Peter actually showing partiality and committing sin, and Paul gives him some accountability. Uh, it's a really insightful passage for us. But, but now as we're in James chapter 2, let's continue in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. As we've looked at before, godly faith always is followed by faithfulness. But the question that I keep trying to wrap my head around is still, how is caring for the poor a part of living out the gospel in our everyday life? I just want to understand it a little better. Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Whoever believes will have eternal life. So God, loved us and we are to love others with that same kind of agape love that he showed us we didn't know that kind of a love we had never understood it until we came to christ and uh, that is a love that has not been merited or is not dependent on future merit that's the way of the gospel So even though it's not dependent on future merit, God works in our life to produce good works. And that way we don't get the glory for it. We don't get the merit for it, but God gets the glory for his work in us. But it's this agape love. The way God loved us, we are called to love others. That's living out the gospel in our daily life. Luke beginning at chapter six, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? 
for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. (laughs) So that's living out the gospel. We're doing what God has done for us. We're showing it to the world. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Uh, I think there was two well-to-do religious leaders who passed by a man who had been robbed beaten, left on the side of the road. Yet a Samaritan, one who was despised by so many Jews, stopped and cared for this man. He showed him mercy. He tended his wounds and he provided a place for him to uh, have shelter until he was well and and food, right? Um, And the Bible says in Luke 10, 36 and 37, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. That's the way we are called to to live out the gospel in our life, showing mercy through deeds of love that are motivated by the Holy Spirit because of the agape love that Christ in his mercy to us has loved us with. And also, not only is this idea of caring for the poor a spiritual fruit of the gospel, but it also points us to a spiritual truth of when we first came to Christ. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So when we realize our need and call out to Christ. He helps us who are poor in spirit. All right. So in our next session, we're going to see how the same gospel is for combating sin in everyday life. Next time, Peter commits sin by showing partiality. And we'll look at how this this stealthy temptation is a tactic Satan uses on us on a regular basis but in the passage he tries once again to change the message of the gospel from jesus-based righteousness to our self-righteousness and i think we might see how every temptation is actually an attempt to distort the gospel Uh, and continuing in a sin has devastating effects on us as well as our friends that we might influence and uh, the way that we portray the gospel to them. So how does Paul approach Peter's partiality type sin? He shows himself to Peter as an accountability partner, (laughs) and he preaches the gospel to him, even though Peter is a believer already, and it seems like Paul just hammers the gospel to him. So it's amazing thought that we can use the same gospel that brought us to Christ as a way to help us combat every single sin that we are tempted with. Father God, thank you for the purity of the gospel, the integrity that that you have kept. 
And Lord, I just pray that it would be kept in our own lives, Father, and, and teach us how to live out the gospel in our daily life with others and in relationships to others, but also uh, personally, Lord, in our relationship to you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.